Father, we come to your presence in the name of your son, Jesus, who died for us upon the cross, taking upon himself all our sins and our diseases, by whose stripes we have been healed. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And not only that, but you are here in our midst because you said that where two or three of us are gathered together in your name, you are there in the midst of them. So, Lord, we acknowledge your presence in this place. We ask you to speak to us. We ask you to touch us, touch our hearts, our minds, our bodies. Lord Jesus, be glorified in all things this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Amen. I'm really uh, honored and glad that I could come. I just came back from Africa, uh, so I'm still under a jet lag cloud, but uh, I came back from Africa. We had two crusades in, in Tanzania, and these were crusade number eight and nine for this year, which for me is a huge victory, uh, keeping in mind how the countries, uh, how the nations are closed, and there's many places we can't even go to, and our usual field in Africa, uh, which is like uh, South Central Africa, you know, Zimbabwe, Zambia, Mozambique, they're all shut down. Everything is closed. They won't allow any gatherings, but Tanzania is open. And so, and God has opened some amazing new doors for us. So I've been in Tanzania since the beginning of this year, and towards the end of the year, um, they actually, the government said to me, listen, uh, you know, we actually don't want to allow people to do any crusades, but we will let you do it under the condition that you provide uh, hand sanitizing stations around the field. So we did that. We provided buckets of water and soap and not buckets, but these containers, you know, with a tap and, and also hand sanitizers. We had, had, had to about eight or ten stations around the field that people could use. And for the first time ever, we have had social dis socially distant, uh, distanced crowds in the meetings, where uh, instead of being packed together, you know, shoulder to shoulder, they stand in about a yard from each other. Not, not everybody does that, but, you know, most people do that. So, but it's been great. And uh, uh, the last crusade we did was in a Muslim town. That is basically, I mean, some of the towns we went to were 100% Muslim. This town I was in was... I mean, it was almost entirely Muslim. When, we, when I drove into the field the first day, and uh, right behind the platform, about five yards from the platform, was a Muslim cemetery, uh, right, right next to the field, right behind the platform. And I stood there, and, and I read some of the names, you know, on the, on, on the gravestones there. And, uh, and a lot of the names reminded me of my relatives, my own family. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's just, you know, things I, I, I've been, I kind of separated from my family f when I got saved, you know, 46 years ago. And then suddenly it was right there. You saw the, all those names and they reminded me of my own family. And uh, I suddenly was gripped by the urgency of the hour because I said to my team, uh, look at all these people who have died without Jesus. And, uh, you know, the eternal, eternal destiny of human beings, that's the most important thing. All these uh, precious souls yeah. whose lives are just as precious as uh, you and me yeah. uh, because they are all created in God's image, you know. It doesn't matter who they are, what color they are, what their religion is, what they believe, how many good or bad things they have done. We are all created in the image of God. And if we lose sight of that, and we look at people as good people or bad people, then it's very easy to devalue 
the lives of those who we count as like they're bad people or they're enemies of America or whatever, and we don't really care whether they die. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and, and one of the things I don't like is when, when the government talks about American lives as if other lives don't matter. They do matter because Jesus died for them, and that's the way we view human beings. Uh, you know, as, as citizens of the kingdom of God, every life matters, whether they be black, blue, white, brown, yellow, whatever. You know, by the way, I'm going to start a brown lives matter movement because <laughs> I have been ignored too long. You know, I've been, I'm going to start something here, you know, but, but anyway, but that's, that's a, that was a really one of my pet projects to come in the future. But, but, uh, but, no, I'm just kidding. But, but here's the thing. Every life matters. Doesn't matter who they are or what they have done, what their sins are, or, you know. So, uh, I, I was looking at those, you know, gravestones and I said to my team, I said, you know, these people, they matter to Jesus. And, and that's why we are here in this Muslim place. And, and, you know, Muslims came. And I remember one night there was this lady uh, who came and she was, uh, and this is what she testified. She said, I, had a, I got a tumor behind uh, here on my head and, 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 and uh, you know, part of it was sticking out and said, when that tumor came, I went completely deaf four years ago. Uh, I don't know, I'm not a doctor, I don't know how these things happen, but she said because of this tumor, both my ears were completely deaf for four years. And she says, as you were praying, I began to feel something and suddenly my ears popped open and the tumor is gone and, and Jesus has opened my ears. And, and, and here's this woman wearing a Muslim head covering and, and she's coming and testifying like that. and and. Uh, yeah, no, I was preaching in the Vietnamese Baptist Church yesterday, and I said, you know, you go and you go, you go to these places and you preach the gospel, and you see all these Muslims who get healed. And I've talked to some Muslims, being a Muslim, former Muslim myself, and asked them, so uh, why why do you come to a Christian meeting like this? Well, because people are getting healed. Yeah. That's what they'll say. And our Quran says that Jesus is a healer. And, and I thought, you know, that's amazing because my problem has never been with Muslims when it comes to healing the sick. It has been with Christians, you know, and, and because the, it seems that these people believe more in their Quran than we believe in our Bible. Yeah, and, and, and so, uh, you know, there's a, there's a, God has put a seed in the heart of human being and we can, in the heart of every human being, and we can always connect with that to preach the gospel. To the, and, and for these people, it's, it's miracles. Yeah. Uh, for, for Muslims, it's miracles because Jesus is alive. You know, yeah. Mir miracles to them just show, uh, because, you know, they're not stupid. They know that you couldn't do miracles, that I couldn't do miracles. It has to be Jesus. Yeah. And so it proves to them that Jesus is alive. While Muhammad is in a grave in Medina in Saudi Arabia, Jesus is not in a grave. He's alive. And so we, we can use that. We can use that to preach the gospel. So we had many people say we had wonderful miracles. We had crippled people walking and blind eyes opening and deaf mutes hearing and speaking. We had a, an amazing stream of miracles every single service. 
and, and that's because, uh, you know, I tell people that every, every night I said, Jesus, that's how I begin every meeting. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So everything that was, he was in the Bible, he was yesterday, and he's today, and he's the same forever. And it is when we speak that out, that's how we maintain a stream of miracles. Yesterday, today, and forever, and we do not consign God's miracle working power to a specific healing service. That you come to the healing service, then God will move, and the other services, well, you know, don't expect much because He will move in the healing service. We can't do that. We have to preach who Jesus is. Amen. Amen. And He is the same. He didn't say, I'm the same only in the healing services. He said, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. And, and you see, what we proclaim every day, we proclaim all the time, that is what God will do. Because, you know, faith comes by hearing, and that which we proclaim, that which we hear, that we'll have faith for. So my way, my you know, simple way of doing it is proclaiming in every meeting at the beginning before I even preach that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And in doing so, we can maintain a stream of miracles every single service. So, you know, so a lot of Muslims come to the Lord. And then uh, uh, I was talking to Pastor Rusty that when I was in Tanzania last time, which was a month and a half ago, uh, I got a I got an email from the general superintendent of the Assemblies of God. And the Assemblies of God in Tanzania, I mean, they're really cooking. They have planted 13,000 churches. And they, they are huge. They have a vision for planting churches. And this general superintendent, I've never met him, uh, he wrote to me. He said, Brother Christopher, you're coming to do crusades, and we want you to extend your stay. We are do I'm doing a meeting of 3,000 uh, general presbyters. These are their main pastors. Uh, there were 13,000 churches, but these, uh, pa these, are, these, are, these are over these sections. And he said, we invited, and he mentioned the name of a very high-powered pastor uh, who, has a, who has a mega, mega church. He said, we invited him to come, and we invited uh, a whole bunch of high-powered speakers. And, and, and said, they're all scared to come because of COVID. Uh, and he says, uh, can, you, can you come and preach all the meetings instead of them? And I thought, what a, I don't know if I want to get into this because these people don't even know me. And I don't know if their expectations are up there and I preach at this level, you know. So anyway, uh, so we prayed about it and uh, I said, okay. So I had to stay nine days extra in Tanzania. Uh, extra after my two crusades to do these three days of meetings. So I was there. Now, the only thing they expected me was to wear uh, a, a sports jacket or a suit, which I hated because it was like over 100 degrees, no air conditioning. And, you know, I'm not a suit or sports jacket kind of guy, but I did it just for them. A, they have that little bit of formality, you know, pastor's meetings. So I wore my sports jacket, but same sports jacket, you know. <laughs> because, you know, when you wear a blue or a black sports jacket, that you can wear every day because uh, no, nobody, they think it's a different one, but it's actually the same. <laughs> and by the end of the third day, that thing was smelling, you know, so, so I could barely stand being around myself. So, I, you know, and, and you know, I mean, uh, 
God, I preach simple messages. You know, we evangelists, we, we preach simple things, you know. If you want to hear something complicated, you get around Pastor Rusty, Pastor <laughs> Sam Carr, Mark Brzee, uh, they, they will feed you there, you know, I mean, up there. I, I, I feed at this level. Uh, I always said, Jesus said, feed my sheep. Uh, don't, he didn't say feed my giraffes, but, but, uh, but these pastors, they feed giraffes because giraffes do show up. There are a lot of people who are at that level and they feed you. Uh, I, I'm, I'm good with people who are at this level, you know, who yawn and say, oh, yeah, I've heard that before. Yeah, yeah. But that was a revelation, you know. So anyway, but, uh, but, uh, so I, I pray. but you know, God did miracles. We had, we had so hundreds and hundreds. I mean, we had uh, people, uh, none of those pastors was actually blind, but there were many who were almost totally blind, you know, had just legally blind or could just see. Sh- I mean, God opened their eyes. There were tumors disappeared. Deaf people were healed. Crippled people were running and it was so exciting. Now they want to work with us. And uh, they want us to go to these Muslim areas. And the general superintendent, he said, next year, I want you to do six crusades in this area. There's a lot of Islam, a lot of witchcraft. We have not been able to crack that area open. Can you do six crusades for us? So I got excited. I said, yeah, we will do that for you. So I did that. And then uh, I wrote to my district superintendent. And because uh, in the Assemblies of God, you know, I'm ordained by the Assemblies of God, but I have not put myself under their missions organization uh, because I, I want to have the ability to work with everyone who I want to, you know, and, uh, you know, and they can work with them, but at the same time, work with the whole body of Christ. And so I wrote to my district superintendent, I said, well, the general superintendent wants me to do six crusades, and he got excited. He said, we are going to support you, and they've never done that before all these years, so he wrote to me, he says, we are going to give you $60,000 next year uh, for two crusades. I said, bring it on, brother. So, <laughs> so it's good. So, you know, so God has opened some fantastic doors for us and and they're going to work with us and we're going to do six crusades in uh, in that area right next to Lake Victoria and it's a, I mean that's Islam and witchcraft and there's 10 million people who reach who live in that area so you know so 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 you know so it has been good for us and then we did our two crusades and then I told Pastor Rusty, I can just be with you Saturday, Sunday, Monday, because now on Thursday I'm flying to Bangladesh. Uh, and there the Assemblies of God have asked me to teach 500 pastors uh, for three days and do a crusade. So we are living in an exciting time. Amen. Amen. We are living in an exciting time. And and doesn't matter what's happening in the world and what's happening here with COVID and all that, we can make our lives as, as exciting as we want to if we live in faith and walk in faith and we really, really want to serve God and we don't want things to stop us, uh, we can do it. We can do it. Amen. We, you know, one thing is I tell people that we should learn to thrive in difficult times. We are designed to thrive. That's the whole thing about faith. Faith is designed to help us to thrive when things are difficult. Amen. 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 Uh, Things are easy, that's not faith. Anyone can thrive when things are easy. But we are people of faith and we can thrive when things are tough, when things are difficult. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Well, the Lord is good. Amen. Now, I want to share with you something very simple. Let's go to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. 
Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Amen. Now, this is the Apostle Paul. And he's writing from verse number... Let me, let me start reading right from the beginning. Uh, from verse 2, we can read from verse 2. He said, beware of dogs, beware of evil, circle, uh, evil workers, beware of the concision, for we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any man thinketh that he has whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. For what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ, yea, doubtless, and I count all things but lost. For the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, by for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the re resurrection of the dead. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth into those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be like-minded, and if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this to you. Amen. Now, from verse number 3 to verse number 6, uh, Paul talks about his Jewish background. He talks about his, his zeal for Judaism. He says, for we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus. Now, that's not his background. That is who he was now. But he says in verse 4, though I might also have confidence in the flesh... If any man thinketh that he has whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Now, in another place in Galatians, he, he actually says that according to the law, I was perfect. Now, of course, he wasn't. I mean, no, nobody, they, nobody, he himself said that nobody can be perfect by the law. But what he meant was that he was far ahead of everybody else. When it came to keeping the law, uh, you know, he was... You know, he was as close to perfection as anyone could ever get. So he, he really had something to boast about, I mean, in the flesh, because he, you know, he was a good man. He was a morally upright man and uh, one who uh, 
you know, did his best to keep the law, and, and he did very well. He did very well as a Jew. He was a zealous Jew. He was as close to perfection as a man can get. So uh, that's who he was. He says, if any other man thinketh that he is whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. He says that I was better than others. If anyone can trust in the flesh, I was even better than them. So he was as good as a Jew can get. Then he talks about his pedigree in verse 5. He says, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. And not, not only that, as touching the law, a Pharisee. He was a Pharisee. And then he says, concerning zeal, persecuting the church. So when the Jews were persecuting the church, Paul was in the forefront of that. He says, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. So he considered himself blameless according to the law. So he, he really had everything to be, uh, you know, in, the, in a worldly sense and in a religious sense, everything to be proud of. He had, his pedigree was impeccable and, you know, he was blameless according to the law. I mean, he was, he was it. And you think, you think of it, there are people like this these days, and we look at them with admiration. I've heard people say, oh, I know, I, I went to uh, Israel, and I met this rabbi, and he, he loves God, and he's very zealous, and they describe this, you know, uh, uh, I call them Israel freaks, you know, they go to Israel, and they, uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's one thing to love the Jewish people, but they end up glorifying Judaism, you know, uh, by the time you listen to them, and they know this rabbi, and he's an orthodox rabbi, and he knows the word, and I ask them, but is he saved? <laughs> and that throws them off. Yeah. And, and, and then I say, yeah, yeah but, but, okay, he's a great guy, a morally upright man, but, but, but if he doesn't know Jesus, yeah. well, what hope does he have? Yeah. And when you are there, when you sit and talk to him, have you told him about Jesus? And they haven't, because they're too busy admiring him. Yeah. You know, they haven't told him about Jesus, and really, really it comes down to that. I mean, there's some simple, simple scriptures we cannot ignore where he says, Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you can't get around that scripture. Amen. You can't. Amen. Or when Paul said, uh, sorry, John said, he who has the Son, uh, he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life, but the wrath of God abides in him. You can't get around those scriptures. So it doesn't matter how, how, uh, you know, how good a person is or how religious a person is or how, uh, how a person's life is full of righteous deeds. And, and in America, we do this to, not to rabbis, but we do this to secular people. And we say, oh, you know, he's a good man. He does this so much. He helps so many young people, and he helps people on drugs, and he gives a lot of money. But is he saved? Has anyone bothered to tell him about Jesus? Because a man's good works are not good enough. So Paul was living in that. He was riding that wave. He's, you know, great pedigree. Uh, According to the law, he was blameless, and he lived a great life, and he knew the scriptures because he was a Pharisee. And he said, by the law, I was blameless. But then one day, he had this encounter with Jesus. 
And then that, he talks about that. He says, verse 7. He says, but what things were gained to me, I counted loss for Christ. He says, all these things that meant something to me, they suddenly meant nothing. They meant absolutely nothing. And, and you know, and, and I, I, one of the things that has always bugged me is, is when, you know, some, some, some people, uh, if, if you read on their website, their testimony. Oh, he was the CEO of a big company, made millions of dollars. Right? He was very successful. He was in Fortune 500. And then God called him to the ministry. It's almost like he's... <laughs> he sacrificed all this to serve God. Yeah. Have, you, have you read those testimonies? Yeah. He was a CEO of this. He was... A, and all that. And he made millions of dollars. By the time he was 30, he was a multimillionaire. But then... <laughs> Jesus reigned on his parade. Yeah. Called him to preach. Yeah. <laughs> and now he goes to the small churches. Yeah. <laughs> Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and this, this is because you see people are like that, but they don't really have a revelation of what it is to know Christ. Yeah. Paul had that revelation of, what, of who Jesus is and what a privilege it is to know him. And to be a servant of the Lord. Amen. Amen. So he says, but what things were gained to me? Everything that meant something to me. Those I counted loss for Christ. And then it says, yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss. For the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. The excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, my Lord. Look at the adjective he uses there. The excellency. I mean, to know Jesus is something so fantastic. It's more wonderful. It's beyond our comprehension. He says, all these things fade into nothingness. These things that really, they actually at face value, if you look at these things at face value, they are worth something. Paul's pedigree, his religious background, his knowledge, who he was, all that he had accomplished, those things, I'm not saying they were nothing. They were really something. Most of us, how hard we try, we could never attain to those things. And they were something, but... Compared to the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, those things fade into nothingness. Some things are worth something when you look at them, when they stand by themselves. But when you bring them before the light of Jesus, they fade into nothingness. And that's what he's saying. He says that, that all these things... He says, yet doubtless, and I count all things but loss... For the excellency of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. He said, I have lost all these things. And not only that, but he said, I count them but dung. You know what the word dung means? Huh? Can anyone tell me? (laughs) Pastor Roland, you have the revelation. Okay, I'm, I'm, my friends call me the no filter guy. 
Dung means poop. <laughs> now, there's other words, but I won't use them in church. But it's, it's, uh, it, it doesn't mean garbage. You know, some translations say, but I count all things as garbage. No, it's not garbage. It's poop. <laughs> now, poop is something, can I be frank with you? <laughs> it's something that nobody likes to talk about. Yeah, right? Right. We all do it in the morning. <laughs> But, 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 can I, can I talk, Pastor? We'll clean it up later. But, you know, it's nothing that you take pride in. You don't get up and say, wow. Let me take a selfie. I'll show everybody in church what I did this morning. This could win prizes, you know. You don't do that. You flush it and walk away from it. You don't even talk about it. You don't even think of it. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's a lot of things I've done in my life that I remember. Things, you know, I've done things in my life. I mean, I've done some, uh, I've done, before I was saved, there's some good things I've done, I remember. There's even bad things I've done that I'm ashamed of that I remember. But there's some things that are not even worth remembering. You just flush it and walk away and, and, and nothing, you know, it never happened. And that's the way Paul looked at who he was before he met Christ. That's how, how much he, he looked down on and despised all his accomplishment. Do you understand what I'm saying? I I'm, I'm brought up all this for you just to show you so you understand how he looked at those things that other people might admire him for. The things that he was proud of. Proud of his pedigree and proud of his position and proud of his spiritual accomplishment as, you know, being righteous by the law. I remember, uh, you know, I was in the United States um, years ago. This was years ago when, when uh, G- Jimmy Swaggart fell into sin. I was in Tennessee, preaching in Tennessee, and, and I remember on TV when he stood there weeping, and, uh, you know, I, I saw that. And then I remember a couple of months later, you know, I was back in Sweden, and we had this famous, famous preacher from America who, who used to come to Sweden, who came there, and he was, you know, he was preaching. And, and, uh, and, 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 you know, in those days, everyone was talking about Jimmy Swaggart. His name would come up. And this preacher said, in the meeting, he began to talk about Jimmy Swaggart. He's, he knew him, and he said, look what he has done, terrible and all that. He says, and look at me. I have never done those things. I've never been, you know, been with another woman. I never. And, and the, at that moment, time, the Lord spoke to me clearly. And the Lord says, his sin of self-righteousness yeah. is greater than his sin of adultery. Yeah. And I suddenly began to see things that that which we have accomplished in ourselves, the things we can boast about, amount to nothing. But in the case of Paul, he did have accomplishments that he could boast about. But he said, but when I met Jesus, all those things faded to nothingness. Yeah. 
They didn't amount to anything at all. He says, I just counted as loss. For the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, my Lord. Not just a surface knowledge of Jesus Christ, my Lord. Not just the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, my Lord. There's a surface knowledge. Then there's a saving knowledge. Jesus is my savior, yes. But then there's, there's an intimacy you enter into. There's a fellowship you enter into. And there's deeper and deeper and deeper degrees of fellowship. And that's what he's talking about. He says, the, for, he says for, to get a hold of the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, my Lord, I count these things as lost. They're worth nothing. And then he says, verse 9, and, verse nine, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Suddenly he, he says, this righteousness which comes by keeping the law. He says, that, that, that's nothing. What I want to embrace and live in is the righteousness which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness of God which is by faith. In the church world today, when we receive Jesus, we receive the righteousness of God by faith. But we value it so little that after we receive that, we seek our acceptance by God under the law. Don't we do that? The righteousness which is of God by faith, which is given to us as a free gift. You know, sometimes, sometimes it's, it's human nature. Sometimes we value things less because they're a gift. But a thing of the same value, we value it more because we got it through our own hard work. Yeah. Are you with me? Yeah. You can hold $10, two $10 bills one you worked for. You earned it by the sweat of your brow. The other, someone gave it to you as a gift. The one that you worked for, that you'll use for essentials. The one that you got as a gift, that's not essential because it was a gift. You'll use that to go and watch a movie or hamburger or whatever. Right? Because it's worthless. It's worthless because it was given as a gift. But if you go to a bank and ask them which one is worth more, they both have the same value. So the righteousness which is of God, which we receive by faith, it has the same value as if I lived a perfect life all my life, blameless before God, and God looked at me and said, Christopher, you are a righteous man. You have never, never, never sinned. You're a perfect man, as perfect as any man could ever be. So here's your diploma, the righteousness of God, and you have earned it by works. And, and, and we sometimes think, you know, that's worth more because I got that by being a perfect man. This, Jesus just gives it to me 
by faith. And so because we value it less, we never, we, we, we never really study it and embrace it by faith and live in it and walk in it. But Paul, he had the other one. He was blameless according to the law. But he said, you know what? I don't want that. For me, that is dung. That I flushed down the toilet. What I want is this. I don't want my, I, that, right, that kind of righteousness which I gain by keeping the law, but I want that righteousness of God, which is by faith in Jesus Christ. And Jesus paid such a horrible price to make it available to us. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, he says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for our sake so that we may be the righteousness of God in him. Let us embrace that, beloved. Let us confess that. Let us live in that because we can. It is given to us by faith. We don't have to do anything to earn it. Amen. Let it produce fruit in our lives. Thank you, Jesus, that I'm made righteous. And that's the starting point. That's not the accomplishment. The righteousness which is by the law is the finish line. The righteousness which is by faith is the starting point. Hallelujah. And God puts us there. When we received Jesus, we became righteous. That's why I can stand up and say, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That is my starting point. So it says, but that is what I want. And it says, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Now there's another thing here in this verse 9. And that is the paradox of faith. I don't know, I use that expression, paradox of faith, for want, for want of a better word. And that is we always live in this tension that whatever it is that God has said is ours, we confess it is ours, and yet there's a lifelong striving for it. Faith is both what you have and what you strive for. I am... The righteousness of God in Christ. And yet I pursue it with all my heart. And there's really no contradiction there. If you look at it in one sense, you might say there's a contradiction. But it isn't. I look at it, it's like the the two tracks of a railway line. A a railway line wouldn't be complete with only one track. It takes both tracks to make the train run. And and so we, we live in that tension. We live in that paradox. It's a lifelong thing that, yes, I am perfect in Christ. Jesus had made me perfect, yet I strive after that perfection. I live my whole life striving, knowing very well that I will attain that perfection only when I leave this world and I stand before Jesus face to face. And John said that when we stand before him, we shall be just like him. That's when I can say, oh, glory, we made it. And I look at you, I say, you made it too. You made it too. (laughs) Hallelujah. The danger is when people say, well, you know, I'm already forgiven. I'm already righteous. Now I can do what I like. And that's unfortunate. I don't want to criticize anyone, but that's built into this extreme grace teaching today. 
Do you understand what I'm saying? It doesn't matter how you live, you're already forgiven. I mean, nobody says that, but that's the implication. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, you know I'm, I'm okay, you're okay, we are all righteous. Jesus took all our sins there. Hallelujah, let's, let's roll out the barrel, let's have a good time, you know. And, 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 uh, you know, and, and people, people think that way, but, but that's not what it's all about. We live in that paradox. I embrace Christ, and I have been made the righteousness of Jesus Christ, righteousness of God through Christ, yet my whole life, is a is a striving after that and it is the journey that's the journey of faith faith is not just a destination there is a destination of faith but there's a journey of faith so there's three parts of faith one is what I already have in Christ and the second part is that that's what I'll be when I stand before Jesus and the third thing is that daily walk Striving towards it, taking hold of it. And all these things, these three things are important. They go hand in hand. Amen. Amen. Now, so he says that I, that I may be found in him not having my own righteousness, which is by the law, but the righteousness which is of God through faith. Then it says, verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Being made conformable unto his death. That I may know him. I thought you already knew him, Paul. I mean, you had been up to the third heaven. You have seen Jesus. He said, I have seen Jesus. Right? Paul had been to the third heaven. In fact, he had heard things from God. He was not even allowed to repeat, you know. Paul had a lot of things he heard from God. He put in these epistles, but there were things he heard from God he was not allowed to write anywhere. We don't know what they are. We just know that he heard things from God that he was not allowed to tell us, which he never did. So he knew God, yet he says, that I may know him. And that's the striving of faith, to know Jesus. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. The power of his resurrection. You know, there's something about the resurrection of power, resurrection power of Jesus dwelling in man. Uh, uh, Many, many years ago, I remember it was my, I think it was my first trip to India. I went to India to preach the gospel. And um, the brother there who had set up my crusade, he said, uh, you know, I was just a new guy. I was was teaching in a Bible school in Sweden. I took four of my students with me, and they thought I was this hotshot preacher, but really, you know, just because I was their teacher, but I didn't know much, you know, my first time in India. So I go there, so the pastor tells me, so we, we are driving home from the airport. We were staying in his house. I said, so where am I preaching? He said, well, we've organized a crusade in this one town in South India, town of Vandavasi, that was the name of the town. He said, many people have tried to plant a church there, but nobody has succeeded. Why? He's always the headquarters of the Hindu extremists. And whenever someone has gone there to preach, they, you know, throw stones at them, beat them up, whatever, you know. And I'm taking you there. Uh, I thought, you've got the wrong guy, you know. Take me, take me to a nicer, more benign kind of place, you know. But anyway, but I remember uh, I spent three days on the floor fasting and praying. 
I was so scared, mainly because, you know, sometimes you fast and pray because, you know, have, you're inspired. Other times you fast and pray because you're scared to death. <laughs> and I was scared to death, so I fast and pray. Anyway, so I, we go to Vandavasi. And the first night, uh, I get up to preach. When I got up to preach, and I was so scared because these people were there, and I was, I was scared. And I said, Jesus! And the moment I see Jesus, scores of people begin to fall down on the ground screaming and devils begin to come out of people. And the Lord said, you got it right there. Don't miss it. <laughs> so I jumped into the crowd. I was casting out devils and all that. Then at the, I think it was that night or the second night, there was a woman who came with a child and she was weeping hysterically. This it was a little girl about 10 years old. And her two legs just hung like, they were like pencils, you know. They were like, there was no muscle on them. They were like, just hanging. And, and the woman was hysterical. She was weeping. And I asked my, inter uh, my, uh, my interpreter, what is she saying? Well, they speak another language there. And he said, he said, well, she's saying this child was born like this. Legs are absolutely useless, have no muscles. Can you pray? And... Uh, you know, I never prayed for a thing like that before. But I remember I, I, I put my hands on this little girl's hips. The mother was holding her. And I remember I looked up. It was a starry sky. I'll never forget that. There were stars in the sky. It was dark. And I looked up. And I remember, I, I don't know why I prayed this way. I said, oh, God of Elijah, God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead, send down your power and heal this little girl in Jesus' name. The moment I said that, it was like something hit me. It went right, I could feel it move right through my arms into this little girl, and my, my, my whole body shook. The mother, the girl shook, and an instant the child was healed. She put the daughter down, and the little girl is walking. Wow. I came back to the house that night, and I was saying, Lord, Whatever it was that happened, that milli, milli, millisecond of power. I said, Lord, why can't we have that all the time? That will spare us a lot of the effort we put in to do ministry. <laughs> well, why not? And the Lord said to me, what you experienced was the resurrection power of Jesus. Yeah. That is the power with which I raised my son Jesus from the dead. But that unleashing of power when Jesus was raised was a million times greater than this. Yeah. What you experienced was a milli, milli, millisecond. And why you can't have it all the time is because the human body is not designed to carry that power. So you can experience that resurrection power of Jesus. And the Lord said, in, this is what he said to me. He said, in the baptism, I don't know whether, you know, sometimes you could say things the Lord told me, but I'm wrong. But this is what I believe the Lord told me. He says, in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you receive a portion. He used a Swedish word, promille. Who say man promille, Brita? It's like, it's a term in Swedish, which means a small portion. You receive a tiny portion 
of the fullness of the resurrection of power of Jesus in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Hmm? A sample, a small portion of the, of the resurrection power of Jesus when you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And the more you live and flow in the Spirit, you can have more, but the fullness you will only know when you stand before me. But as you seek me, you strive after to being like me and to follow me and to be like me, you will experience more and more of it. And over my all these years, and that was 1983 or something, 84 I believe it was, and that was like almost 40 years ago, I've seen things like that a few times, but not as often as I would want to. But I'm grateful for the times I've experienced it. But I don't sit down and say, well, it happened four or five times. Some people never experienced it, so that's good. Hallelujah. No, you strive after it. Yeah. You live for it. You seek it. And then right when you don't expect it, boom, God comes down. And that's what he's talking about. That I may know him. He knew Jesus. But he wanted that fullness. Yeah. That I may know him. That I may know him. That I may know Jesus. And the power of his resurrection. The same power that flowed through his dead body and raised him from the dead when he was down in Hades. Lifted him right out of that dark place. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And he says, and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. That too, because the two go hand in hand. When I was a new believer, we used to sing a song. He says, if you will not bear a cross, you cannot wear the crown. We don't hear stuff like that anymore because our faith teaching is so happy, clappy, and, and wonderful, you know? That's what the South Africans say. It's so happy, clappy. That's an apt word to describe it, you know? Happy, we just, so, you know, uh, uh, so, now look, there are benefits in the gospel. God wants to bless us. Yes, he does. I believe it with all my heart. But, but when the blessings become the message. Yeah, that's right. That's the problem. I want a bigger this. I want a better that. I want a newer this. And, because, and, and that's really our reason for existing in this world. And that's the main message. And then we don't understand why it don't work. And the guy will say, well, you've got to give more money to my ministry. It's like a never-ending thing. You are trapped. You know, but he said, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. And what was the sufferings of Jesus? The sufferings of Jesus was, you know, his greatest suffering was how he left 
left his father's throne above and came down to this world and humbled himself and became a man. And you read about that in Philippians chapter 2 and how he made himself of no no, uh, reputation. He sought the lower place. Although he was a king, he was born in a stable. How he made himself a man and he made himself a servant and he suffered and he was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. That is entering into the sufferings of Jesus, laying down our own ambitions, our plans and purposes and all the dreams we want, all the dreams that we have, laying down those things so that others may have eternal life. One of my mentors, George Werber, used to say, he says, he says, as children of God, all things belong to us, but sometimes God wants us to give up good things so that others may have that which is far better. That is the excellency of the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. He was willing to go through that. He read about the sufferings of Jesus and he says, I want to go through that and become like him in his death. I mean, the way Jesus died, Paul said, you know what? If that is the price I have to pay to be like Jesus, so be it. I'm willing to suffer and to die like him so that I may know him. Yeah. I'm willing to go that far. How far? I always ask myself, how far am I willing to go to know Jesus? How far? And then God, he takes me, you know, outside my comfort zone. And we think that's far enough. But it's not just the comfort zone. He takes us farther and further out, further out. So even our comfort zone, outside our comfort zone, what is outside our comfort zone looks like our comfort zone. And we're out there. And that's where Paul said, I'm willing to go. I'm I'm willing to go as far as it takes so that I might have the excellency of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. I want to know Jesus. That was his passion. So, you know, there has to be a single-minded passion in our lives. One of the, one of the, I should say, one of the curses of our society is that most people are not single-minded or passionate about one single thing. We are so distracted. There's so many things that attract us. But what are you passionate about? What is it that makes you tick? That one thing that defines you. Something that has eternal value. I know some people are driven by things that have no eternal value. And I don't really look at it as being much because when the man dies, that dies with him. Right? You live and die You live for something that has no eternal value. When you die, you leave nothing behind because that dies with you. That passion dies with you. But is there anything in my life, in your life, that we look at it as worth staking our life upon? 
something that we are passionate about. One thing, one thing. And that was Paul, that I may know him. That I may know him. Yeah, but Paul, you already know him better than most of us. Yeah, no, but that doesn't count, that I may know him. Because I've seen things about him I don't know. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Yeah, I've felt that power, that resurrection power go through me a few times, but that doesn't really count. I want that fullness. And the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings and even becoming like him in his death, if that is what I have to go through to attain a resurrection like him, I want to rise up together with Jesus. Just like God raised up Jesus, I want him to raise me up to attain that glorious resurrection. I'm willing to die a despicable death, painful death like him. If that's what it takes for me to attain that glorious resurrection. And then he says here, verse 12, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect. The word perfect here means mature. He says, I don't look at you. You might think I'm the Apostle Paul, I'm somebody, but I don't look at myself as I've accomplished anything. You know, the, one of the worst things we can do is when we, when we believe in all the great things people say about us. Yeah. <laughs> if you're in the ministry, you believe your own website, how they describe you. That can be your biggest enemy when you begin to think you have accomplished something. That, that really, really puts you in a danger zone. When you, when, you, when you look back at all the great things you have done, you know, all the miracles and all the places you have traveled to, all those things you have done, and you think, wow, I'm not all that bad. You know, that is dangerous. He said, not that I have attained all this. Nothing. I don't look at myself as, as if I've done anything at all. But... He says, either we're already, but I follow after. If that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. And that is the title of my message. I am apprehended in order to apprehend. I want to find out why Jesus took a hold of me so that I may take a hold of that that purpose for which Jesus took a hold of me. You know, I I was 21 years old, suicidal guy, nothing to live for, Muslim guy, didn't know anything about Jesus, never heard of Jesus, never seen a Bible, never been to church, never made a Christian, minding my own business, going to hell, And I'm walking down the road, and I see this white man across the street, and I remember thinking, this guy, he's he's handing out tracts, you know, for me it was pieces of paper, and I see this guy has a peace and a joy I have never known in my life, and this was the 70s, you know, 75, everyone was experimenting with drugs, and my thought was, I got to find out what this guy is smoking. 
that too. I was not seeking for God. Oh, he sees Nino's Jesus. I must hear about Jesus. No, I want to find out what he's smoking. And I want to walk up to him and begin to uh, ask him, so who are you? Where are you from? And he says, I'm from England and I'm a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ and I'm traveling all over the world and talking about Jesus. And he begins to tell me about Jesus. And suddenly when he talked about Jesus, I cannot describe it. Something got a hold of me. I still can't describe it, what it was. Something took, got a hold of me, and I thought to myself, this is what I've been waiting for all my life. And then, and then uh, you know, at, at that time, I, had a, I, had a, I was doing two things. I, you know, I'd left the army. I was an army officer, left the army, and I had a good job in uh, a hotel, uh, intercontinental hotels. It's a five-star hotel chain. I was assistant food and beverage manager. I was on my way up. And then I was also studying to be a radio officer in the, in the merchant marine. You know, it's a well-paying job. So I had two tracks. I could take either one. And, you know, I'm all set. And then suddenly this Jesus comes in. And he interrupts everything. And this guy says to me that, uh, do you want to receive Jesus? And I don't know. As stupid as I was, I said, yeah, I guess. <laughs> so I prayed with him. He says, okay, let's pray. I said, how do I pray? Because we Muslims, you know, we pray, face Mecca, we wear a white cap, white clothes, and you, you know, you do your thing. And he said, no, no, just close your eyes and say after me. And he was from one of these Jesus people types. So he prayed a prayer like this. Hey, man, Jesus. <laughs> he said, come into my heart and set me free. Hey, man. This guy's freaking out. He really needs you. Something like that, you know. <laughs> So, so I prayed that prayer with him. Now, you might think, oh, that's so sacrilegious, you know. But it's because we are religious. That's the problem. It's sacrilegious because we are religious. But, but I remember when I opened my eyes, it was like everything, my whole life had been black and white. It was technicolor. My burdens had been lifted away, and I felt different. Three days later, I was handing out tracts on the street, and I heard a voice say to me, this is what you'll do the rest of your life. In English, these are the exact words. This is what you will do the rest of your life. I will take you all around the world, and you will tell people about Jesus. Amen. I said, why are you messing with me? <laughs> I'm assistant food and beverage manager at a five... <laughs> five-star hotel. I have five restaurants under me. My career is on the way up. I can be a radio office in the merchant marine. And, and now you, you know, and so I just had to follow Jesus. Next thing you know, I'm in a mental hospital because the army thinks I'm crazy. Then I'm out of the mental hospital. I'm handing out tracts. Then I'm arrested. I'm in prison for almost a year. They want to execute me. I lost everything. Everything. Next, you know, I'm a refugee. I'm in Afghanistan just before the Soviet invasion. Somehow I made my way. Went to Turkey, Soviet Union, Afghanistan, Soviet Union, Turkey, Belgium, I ended up in Sweden. My first job from being a, you know, wealthy family, my first job was washing dishes in a restaurant. Then I'm cleaning toilets. That's the path God took me. But you know one thing I did? Well, the only sensible, the most sensible thing I did in my life, 
I surrendered myself. I said, Lord, wherever you take me, I'll go. I'd rather clean toilets and be a dishwasher in the house of the Lord than to have all that outside. I had to let go of my ambitions, let go of my plans. So Paul is saying, he says, he says, not that I have accomplished or attained anything, but I follow after. I follow Jesus that I may take a hold of that purpose with which he took a hold of me. Beloved, God has taken a hold of you and he wants you to find out and take a hold of that purpose of God for which he took a hold of you. There's not one of us who is here by accident. There's not one of us who's just sitting here. Well, thank God I'm saved, but the purpose, God don't have a purpose for me. I guess I'll have to navigate my own life. No, God has a purpose for you. I don't know what it is, but he has a purpose for you. God has a purpose for you. I love this kid. Did that embarrass you? I'll do it one more time. God has a purpose for you. Isabel, God has a purpose. God has a purpose for you. And Paul says, I, and you know, after doing all that, being to third heaven, after writing half the New Testament, he was still trying to take a hold of that purpose. He says, one thing I do, one thing I do, I don't count myself as taking a hold of it. One thing I do, this one thing I do, One thing, single-minded about one thing. What is he single-minded about? I follow. I follow Jesus so that I may apprehend or take a hold of that for which he took a hold of me. Why did Jesus take a hold of me 1975, December the 13th, when I was on the street minding my own business? Why did he come into my life and take a hold of me? I'm still trying to figure that out, serving out. And I've had great deal of joy in that journey. I've had a lot of trials also, but I am happy. I am happy, hallelujah. Trying to figure out my purpose, trying to follow Jesus with all my heart. Hallelujah. Then he says here, he says, verse 14, verse 13, uh, yeah. He says, brethren, I count myself not to have apprehended. I don't count myself as if I've taken hold of anything. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. Letting go of those things that are behind. Good things, bad things. Let go of those things that are behind. And he says, and reaching forth unto those things that are before. Letting go of that which is behind me. And reaching out to take a hold of that which is Before, verse 14, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. The calling that God has upon our lives is not just a calling, but is the highest of all callings. He says, I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That is the prize. Yes. The high calling of God. And then, 
Then he says, I like verse 16, verse, uh, uh, verse number 15. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect. And the word perfect, it means mature. Paul is, you know, after sharing this thought, he's really laying bare his soul and telling us how he's thinking. Then he says, let us therefore be mature and be thus minded. Let us all think this way as I'm thinking right now. And then he says, and if anything you be otherwise minded, God shall reveal this to you. He says, you see how I'm thinking? He says, those of us who are mature, who understand, let us think this way. And if you don't think this way, your mind and your heart are on, are on another track. I'm yeah. praying for you yeah. that God gives you a revelation. Amen. That's, that's how firmly he believed that this is the way to live. This is the way to live. This is the purpose of life. I want to read one more scripture to you before I finish. 2 Corinthians 2.14. Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. And you know, we normally think this scripture talks about we walk triumphantly in Christ and we spread the knowledge of, of, of God everywhere we go. It doesn't actually mean that. If you look at, if you do an exegesis of the, in Greek, what it means is this, and I've written this down. The sense in the original Greek is that God leads us as prisoners in his triumphal procession, as victorious generals did in Rome. You see, what would happen when these Roman generals would go out to battle and they would take prisoners, when the general would come back to Rome and have a big parade, victory parade before Caesar, so here the legions marching, you know, and saluting Caesar, and in the back, they used to have all their prisoners tied in chains, and they were the trophies of his victory. And they used to parade these prisoners before Caesar because these prisoners were the trophies of his victory. And that's what he's talking about. He said, God be praised because we are the prisoners that Jesus has taken from Satan. And now we are being led as Paul always said, I'm in the bonds of Christ. We are in the chains of Christ and we are being led as prisoners in his triumphal parade. And as we march in this triumphal procession as prisoners of Christ, through us, the knowledge, the fragrance, the sweet fragrance of the knowledge of God is spread through us so everybody can smell it and sense it. Our greatest freedom is when we are prisoners of Christ. Paul says, I'm in bonds. If you read his epistles, he says again and again, I'm in the bonds of Christ. That's what he means, I'm in the chains of Christ. I'm a prisoner of Christ. Jesus, once I was serving Satan, but Jesus came in and he defeated Satan and he 
delivered me and now I am a prisoner of Christ. Yes. And as he marches in a triumphal uh, procession is parade before God the Father and so I'm there right there among the prisoners I am in chains in the chains of Christ and I've been led by Christ and he leads me wherever I go and through me the victory of Christ is demonstrated yeah. my life is a demonstration of the victory of Jesus Christ over the powers of darkness yeah. your life is a demonstration you are a trophy of the total victory that Jesus Christ has won over all the powers of darkness. Hallelujah. Amen. Glory be to the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's all stand up. Let's lift up our hands to God. And thank him. Thank you, Jesus. Let's just pray in the spirit. Just pray in the spirit. Let's pray in the spirit and commit our lives to serving Jesus. Lord, I want to serve you. I want you to. I want you to. Thank you that you have taken a hold of me. You know, I'm thinking of that scripture in Hebrews chapter 12 that we look unto Jesus who is the author and the finisher of our faith. Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. Jesus is the one who was in the beginning and he's the one who will be in the end and he's the one who has taken a hold of us. And during that journey of faith, he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will never walk away from you. He will never let you go. You may let him go, but I hope you won't be that foolish that you'll do that. But he said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. He is the author and the finisher of the faith. He's the beginning and he is the end. He's the alpha and the omega. That is the A and the Z and he's everything in between. He's also B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, S, T, U, V, W, X, Y, Z. He's everything is between. He's the author and the finisher. He is the journey. Hallelujah. So it is as we lose ourselves in Christ, that is when we find him. Looking unto Jesus the author and the finisher of our faith. Lord, we thank you. Thank you for your hand upon our lives. Thank you, Father. You'll never leave us, nor forsake us. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We thank you for the promises of your word. We thank you, Father. The darkness will never overcome your church. The gates of hell shall never prevail over your church. Hell shall never prevail over us because we are more than conquerors because you have loved us. Thank you, Father. Let's pray in the Spirit. Let's pray in the Spirit. And let the Lord speak to you. Let the Lord, let the Lord deal with you. The Lord is telling me there's a couple of people here 
where you feel like a hopelessness, hopelessness in your life and you just see a black wall before you. But let me tell you that from the Lord, that is a lie of the devil. That is the biggest lie of the devil. That is deception. And the only way you can get rid of the deception is by holding up the word before you because the word says the opposite of the deception. And you take a hold of that word because God speaks to you and God speaks his word and his word will carry you across and give you victory in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Father, we honor you. We glorify you. We thank you. We thank you. We thank you. Thank you, Father. Father, I pray for each one of us, Father, myself included, that we may apprehend that for which we have been apprehended. I pray that each one will take a hold of that purpose for which you have taken a hold of us, Father. We thank you, Father. Let not one person fall short of the fullness of that which you have for them. In the name of Jesus, thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, for direction. Thank you, Father, for purpose. Thank you, Father, for revelation. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. We bless you. We bless you. How many of you have a need in your life you want prayer for? Let me see your hand. You got sickness or anything in your body or anything? Okay, why don't you do this? Let's do this. Before I hand it over to Pastor Rusty, put your hand on the spot where your sickness or disease or whatever it is. is. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you, Lord Jesus, that when you were whipped and bruised and beaten and crucified, you bore upon your own self all of our sins and carried all our diseases. And by your stripes, we have been healed. I thank you, Father, that you hear us right now. I ask you to send down the precious healing anointing of your Holy Spirit upon all of us, Father, right now. Father, touch each one in this place. Father, if anybody has a growth or a tumor or a cancer or anything of that sort, I curse that evil thing in the name of Jesus. I command it to wither away, die and dry and disappear in the name of Jesus. Father, if anybody has problems with their eyes, their eyes, with their eyes, I Speak out against every bad report in the name of Jesus. And I curse every eye disease, curse every cataract. And Father, I thank you for perfect eyesight in the name of Jesus. Father, those who have injuries in their bodies, I ask you to heal them by your mighty power. I, Father, total healing from every injury, Father. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you. Thank you, thank you. I command these bodies to come into line with the word of God. And I say to you, be made whole in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. If anybody has any kind of aberration or deformity, something that is wrong, something that is crooked, I ask you to make those things straight. Do creative miracles right now, right now in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Father, if anybody has depleted hearing or deafness in the ear, in the name of Jesus, I command those ears to open up, receive perfect sight in the name of Jesus. Father, those who who have diseases or sickness or infirmities in their internal organs of their body, I ask you to heal them in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Be healed by God's mighty power in the name of 
Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God, be healed in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, for full and total and complete restoration in the name of Jesus. I thank you. I thank you. I thank you. I thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love. We thank you that you're good and your mercy endures forever. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, praise God. Praise the Lord. You may be seated real quick. Thank you, Jesus. You know, let me kind of, maybe we should talk about this more than we should do. But it's been my experience for all the years I've been serving the Lord that when you sit in a meeting, there are two components, two things that are going on. There's that which is being taught, and then there is that which is caught. And sometimes the voice of that which is caught is even greater than that which is taught. Now, the greatest visual illustration you're going to get out of what you just heard this morning and I've, I've taught on this over the years, and it's really impressed itself upon me. The Apostle Paul and what Pastor Christopher so beautifully illustrated to us today, struck down on a road by the glory of God. And at that particular point in his life, what he mentioned in Philippians chapter 3 happened. He was apprehended. But then he makes the statement of that of that experience in Philippians by revelation like this. Now I'm trying to apprehend that, that which I've been apprehended of. So in meditating on that and in studying other characters of the Bible, we can conclude that the Apostle Paul was touched by God at one point in his life. And then the rest of his life he spent trying to get a hold of what got a hold of him. Everything else was an ulterior. You could In that scripture could have been, Oh, if I could build another church like at Ephesus. What about Philippi? Missions church. They send me money. They send me offerings. Or if, if we could have another revival like at Ephesus where from my body we're taking aprons and just laid on people. And they were just deli- I mean, none of that meant nothing. That meant nothing to him. What meant something to him is he's on a journey to get a hold of what got a hold of him. Now we see a man get up here that in 1975, he's wandering around in Pakistan, lost, undone, without God, and he meets a guy, and he, and he hears about this guy, Jesus, and Jesus gets a hold of him. And a lot of people, when they look at, at Brother Christopher, they think, crusade ministry, signs and wonders. But for him, that, 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 that's just the ulterior motive of his entire life. All the crusades, everything that has happened, all the signs, the wonders, the miracles, the millions that have been saved, is just a journey of this man trying to get a hold of what got a hold of him in 1975. I experienced the same thing in 1984. I'd been saved as a young child, filled with the Holy Ghost as a young child, got away, I think as far away as you can get from God without dying. I mean, I lived with death. It's horrible. But then, on March the 7th, 1984, something got a hold of me. And I've gone all over the world. We've established, what are you doing, Rusty? What are you, I'm trying to get something got a hold of me in March of 1984 that I've been on a journey trying to get a hold of what got a hold of, a hold of me. Everything else is ulterior motive. Now, what's happening this week is God is calling people. 
And he's calling you to your purpose. The time is so short, but we are the 11th hour laborers. That means the wage that a man was paid for a lifetime of ministry may be paid to you in six months, a year, two years. You say, why? That's how close we are to the end of this age and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the question is, what is it in your life that you would hold on to to stop you from that journey? What is it? What ambition, what desire, what, what excuse might you have not to go on that journey right now? There's a lot of people in here right now that you love God, you serve God, but it's the call of God. And listen, I've heard all of the I don't know what you can say of people. You know, well, you, you, you were raised in this church with these pastors and you knew these people, so you got some kind of a fast track into ministry. That's not true. God doesn't call people like that. I had to get on my knees. I had to fast. I had to pray. I had to struggle. I had to do without. I had to be in fear. I had to be in wonder. I had to go through all these emotions that you go through in finding that place in God. Or that you know, this is what my life's about. It's not about this pulpit. It's not about this building. It's not about a building I want to build. It's not about a crusade. It's, not a, it's all about Him. And our lives are in pursuit of that right now in Jesus' name. Amen. And Father, we bless your name. Thank you for sending Christopher and Britta to us this morning. We receive them. And Father, we bless them. And we ask that the journey that they're on, the, uh, the path of righteousness for their life, Lord. We thank you, Heavenly Father. There's much blessing. There's much goodness. There's much success because of their words, their teaching, their blessing. Many, many churches and nations will be blessed as we navigate these days of darkness. We thank you that we can be the light you've called us to be. Thank you, Father, as we leave for rest. Thank you that we're revived when we come tonight. Thank you for your anointing on Pastor Sam this evening. Lord, we thank you for all that you'll do for us this week. Father, we thank you for your protection and safety. Lord, as we have done as a church, we stand declaring Psalms 91 over this week. Lord, as we do every week, but this week we zero in. We push back against the seasonal sicknesses and disease, the colds, the flus. Lord, we push back against this COVID and all that it is and all that it's doing in the earth. Father, we thank you for the faith, Lord, on the backside to stand against the symptoms. Lord, we stand on the front side and we declare there'll be a no infection at all whatsoever. As a matter of fact, just the opposite, healing and blessing. Healing and blessing. Not only that, that men and women will learn the reality of faith when it comes to standing against these things as they increase upon the earth. Thank you that your church is resilient against it. In Jesus' name. Lord, let the witness of our hearts be strong all week. Lord, in the restaurants we go to, the fellowship that we have, let us not forget those around us that do not know Jesus, that are lost, undone, without you. Give us a sensitive heart to be a blessing to people, a problem to the devil, and a miracle in someone's life. Lord, we leave today walking in faith and love towards you. We love you so much. We walk in love toward one another. Thank you for our church and all of our wonderful friends. We leave today thanking you, Father, that here at Island Church, we're covered by the blood, empowered by the Word, and anointed by the Holy Ghost. God bless you. We'll see you tonight.